I've got a lot of paper today. <laughs> and that what you say when this comes through the door? And it keeps piling up? This is a good read. It's only a Herm Bay Extra, but it's still a good read. Still a good read. You know what people do on Sunday morning? They go to the newspaper, relax, have a cup of coffee, have a fag, and just take in. <laughs> well, that's what I. No, sorry. Not <laughs> But it's a good read. So this little bit is start the week with David, okay? Um, as as we, we, we look into the paper. We're going to look into the better paper just a little bit later on. But it's amazing. I just read the papers sometimes and things jump out at you. Um, there's a little bit of echo here going on. I don't know whether it's affecting anybody. Is that better? Is that better? There's always the crime in the paper and you say, oh, not another one. Let's see, but it's a little phrase like this. This is a um, solicitor speaking for someone he defended. Phil Rowley for Gregory said his best mitigation, his best mitigation was his guilty plea. His best mitigation was his guilty plea. When there's nothing else to hang on to, no other thing you can stand to defend yourself Maybe we're encouraged, well not we are, I hope none of us here, but that wouldn't be in keeping with our passage today in Peter, would it? Um, or last week, sorry. Um, but you know, you're grasping at things to defend yourself, you know? And um, his best mitigation with his guilty plea. And it just reminded me of our approach to God, you know? Our first step to God, really, it's the fact that we own up to the fact that we are guilty before God. In fact, the Bible tells us that the whole world has become guilty um, before God. But our wonderful, in our worship this morning, we're just reminded of how God deals with that. I'm sure everyone in this room has either said something or done something that after you've done it or said it, you feel awful. Isn't that right? You feel, you feel just awful. And you feel a sense of guilt comes on you, say, I wish I hadn't done that, I wish I hadn't said that. But we're actually looking at Peter's letter today. And you know, he was in that place. Here's a man writing to Christians about their behavioural problems and difficulties. And he knew what that was like. He knew that was like. Wasn't it Peter who said, depart from me, Lord? because I'm a sinful man when he saw the wonder and the power of Jesus. And yet here's a changed man. Here's a changed man speaking and dealing with people who are in a similar situation that he'd been in. You know? But it's wonderful to know that as we come to God and we just admit our sin, he's ready and waiting to receive us. Because then we can seek the Saviour who's done something about our sin. We can seek and know the Saviour who's done something about it. So just remember that little phrase, you know, our best mitigation is our guilty plea. Best. Our best mitigation. 
you know, just re read on through the paper and I'll read about the big trees that have been cut back in the Dane John. When I, I've known those, uh, I've known those trees since uh, I was able to walk because um, no one could find my dad one day and he was found up in the Dane John dipping bananas in sugar as a little boy and just enjoying those bananas. Um, but there we go. On page seven, let's look for page seven. This is one of the bigger titles. It says, couple feel the force of army explosives testing. Yeah. <laughs> now look closer. Is that Bill? Is that she no, it's not Bill or Sheila sitting there. But um, I just, it just reminds you of my brothers and sisters in church. And that's wonderful, isn't it? So that's what it was on page seven. So we go on. The Coast Watch is under threat. Watch your boundaries. And then there's this one here about um, planning permission for tin sheds past. And I thought, what's that all about? Planning for tin sheds past. And um, so uh, I, read, I didn't read on. I did wonder what it was about. But then somebody reminded me yesterday, down our way, down Eddington Way, they're going to put up some more of these um, tin you know, commercial units. And, so, and someone has sort of called them tin huts. Uh, but planning permissions has been granted. Now, that just reminded me of another event in Peter's life. You know, when he went up onto the mountain with Jesus. And um, they had this wonderful experience. Jesus was transfigured before them. They saw a change in Jesus that they had never seen before. They saw Jesus in a wonderful way, which they were privileged to be part of. And to see talking with Moses and Elijah in the past. And to know at that point in time that God was in history. Jesus was speaking with Moses and Elijah. And what was their response to it? Lord, this is so good. Let us put up two shelters so that we can stay here. And I thought, here's a couple of fishermen. I don't know what they were thinking of building. Maybe they were thinking just turning their boats upside down and, um, and saying, it's so good to be here. Oh, Lord, we're alone with you. This is great for us. Let's stay here. We enjoy worship like that sometimes, you know but sometimes we just have to move on. And as much as we like the worship and being attracted to Jesus, what it's all about really is Jesus impacting our lives, making a difference in our lives. But that couldn't have happened if they stayed there. There was still an interim part of their lives that Jesus had to deal with. But Jesus allowed them in on that moment to enjoy something of not only what was in the past, but was going to be developed in the future. And that's a lot where we are in Peter, you know. In present situations, God is working out his purpose to bring something in in the future. God is about bringing his kingdom in. God is about developing his kingdom. He's about developing ordinary people to be powerful people. And can people can handle their lives 
and people that can do something about the situation they're in to make a change and to make a difference. And so these guys are up on the mountain with Jesus. Let's build a couple of shelters. That's the best thing that we can do. But it wasn't the best thing to do. That moment passed. And Jesus said, come on, let's go down the mountain. Let's go down the mountain. Let's do something. So the tin sheds, the plans for tin sheds had been passed. Page 23, there's the gossip column. And Peter in our passage today is talking about how destructive wrong speech can be. It's an issue that's addressed in the church time and time again. How destructive our speech, the things that we say, can be to people. Sometimes even with the best intent. Because we're so concerned about having an input into something's life. We want to say something. We want to do something. And sometimes we can just trip over the curb, the curb and, not be, uh, and not be as helpful as God intends us to be. And that's quite a subtle difference. Because sometimes am I imposing my relationship with God on someone who's not yet ready to be as close as I am in that relationship with God. We have to be wise before we say something. And Peter talks about wisdom when we come to the point of wanting to help someone else. We don't just barge in. Sometimes we think we have a speciality in our experience with God that we want to inject into someone else's life, which is sometimes not quite as helpful as God would want it to be. So before we say something, before we do something, let's be wise, let's counsel the wisest person on earth, let's counsel God where we are and how we can be. Because that's quite important. Because sometimes we can be more destructive in what we say than being helpful. Because someone may go away and they say, oh, I can't handle that. And then they go off on a tangent and say, that's too big for me to handle. I can't do that. But yeah, you're okay, you carry on. So before we say something, be very careful. Be very careful in what we say. And the last thing I found in my paper was the, the article about a teacher many people had loved and come to understand. And it sort of jumped out of the pages to me. Do you know any great teachers? I'm not talking about school ones. There are good and bad teachers. But I do know a great teacher. And his name is Jesus. The best teacher of all. And that's where we start, really, because Peter is coming to some Christians whose lives are upside down because of a situation in their world, as it were. And he's coming to them not as a theological <coughs> deliberator, but from one who had learnt by being close to the great teacher, Peter. There's something about that in our lives, you know, the difference between just reading the word 
and understanding and actually more about developing our relationship with Jesus. That's what has happened for Peter. For Peter, Jesus was his anchor in life. He wasn't always that, but he had become so precious to Peter because of the realness and integrity which didn't come from being a carpenter, but because of who he was. It was not a casual acquaintance. He was specifically called one day to leave behind his life as a fisherman. And it wasn't to traipse around behind Jesus, but to learn from him to become more like him, to become like him and then more like him. And how was that developed? Well, he shared his power and ultimately developed into a pillar and founding apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ. And we need to be mindful of the fact that, not to stretch a point too far, it might be possible if Peter hadn't been obedient to Jesus and followed him, we might not be here today. So things that happen in history... Peter's life was changed because of Jesus. And this morning, we're here today because my life, our lives, can actually change because of Jesus. As Peter opens what we're going to read today, it's about behavioural issues. On TV uh, this week, there was um, a, a nature programme about animals. And um, talking about baboons... And um, baboons have been forced out of the sort of vegetated area with trees and stuff like that into grassland. And for them, it was a little bit of an unnatural experience. They'd rather be where the trees were. And because, you know, things have happened, because the elephants have rooted up the trees and all stuff like that, and there's not so many trees, they've been forced into the grasslands. And the writer was saying, and I tried to get it on video clip, because it's quite funny, really, um, but, uh, but I couldn't do that. But it's saying the baboons have developed a sophisticated social lifestyle because they've been moved out into the grasslands. And, um, and it showed you, actually, the, what they called the, the sort of matriarchal figure baboon um, with the younger baboons. And these older baboons were roughing up the younger ones, sort of doing this to them, like that, you know, you know as they held their children. Um, uh, you know, well, children, yeah, that's right. And, um, but it was amazing, you know, how that even in the animal kingdom there is this need to develop, you know, a sophisticated social structure. Now, the church should be that. It should have a sophisticated social structure in which we recognise a culture of honour for each other and that we should be developing, I'm saying developing, because it's not in our nature to be all hunky-dory with each other. It's actually in our nature to react in a way which God never intended. And when Jesus came, he actually changed that situation because he was able, even amongst his odd guys, to develop a social structure which was honouring to God. Which is honouring to God. So, Peter's input into the early church has impacted history. 
so that the church remains a growing and developing influence throughout the world. Now, we have to see that countercultural movement in Christian society becoming more countercultural. So, in, in sense, that the church is act, actually able to impact things into life which we ourselves have learnt. And so it begins here. I think one of the writers said, it, everything that we learn begins in the house of God. It begins where the society of people meeting in Jesus' name for his glory and power have learned how to behave properly so that they can then have an influence to people around them. That is countercultural. So, to Peter, Jesus demonstrated the heart of what we know as faith. This is not made up of the nebulous, unclear ideas of a guru. Right? But it was defined in Jesus. This is faith is defined in Jesus as believable truth, believable truth which can change a person's life, change the world. It can bring injust, change it from injustice to justice. It can change hate into love. It can change unforgiveness into forgiveness, which we've been worshipping God about this morning, the ability and the power to forgive. And as we come, as we come to Peter, and as we're going to read the passage in a minute, uh, we, we will realise that Peter is really saying, because he's looking at Jesus, he said, Jesus can bring stability into all forms of suffering in life, whatever they may mean. He can bring stability and sometimes, living in our modern world, we just feel that we need a little bit of stability in our lives. And it doesn't matter whether that suffering or that going against the grain or swimming against the tide, whatever we might, what you feel life is like to us, we will know that Jesus, and Peter's words are about this, can bring stability into my situation. Can bring stability into my situation. It makes sense of the life and the world we live in. And Jesus came to give life and put the experience of life into a magnificent opportunity of being able to experience what God had originally intended. Jesus came with a purpose to set the peoples of the world free from sin and death and to deal with God's real-time enemy, who is also our enemy full of lies, deception, wreaking havoc in God's world. Do you look out on the world and see it's a world of havoc? It may be in some areas, in some places, we see, we see that more strongly than others. I mean, living where we do, sometimes we don't appreciate havoc or the low-key havoc. But underneath it all going on, Satan's at work trying to undermine order. He's trying to undermine, he's trying to undermine peace and stability. He's trying to work so that God's name is not glorified in the earth. And he also works knowing us what we may be susceptible to. That's temptation. Again, Peter, and this is important for us too, had also realised that like all of us, true faith, true faith, and he found this from Jesus, is a definitive choice to accept him as God's personal provision for each one of us to be saved 
and to follow on, and to follow, this is important too, to follow on with definitive choices as we live our lives. So for the Christian, it's not only an initial definitive choice to say, Jesus, I accept, I receive you as my saviour because you dealt with my sin, and I have no other hope, no other anchor to hold on to. I really believe that, and so I accept. I accept what that is. And I think Peter demonstrated in his life that he really accepted Jesus. He accepted him that what he was talking about was right. He accepted him because his actions were different to those others around. He realised that Jesus was not only looking into the present, but he was going beyond the present, into the future. He recognised that Jesus had come for a purpose, and that was to die on the cross and to suffer, be raised from the dead, and go back to heaven having dealt with sin and having dealt with Satan, our enemy, and the one that's wreaking havoc in the world. So for Peter, that was a definitive choice he had to make. But that follows on with other definitive choices. Peter's talking in his, the passage we have today about seek, pursue, and they're definitive choices for us in tricky situations and in situations where we're not getting on with other people and we've got behavioural problems. It means definitive choices. Something I need to do about this. But of course, sometimes we're at a loss to know what to do. Why? Because these choices are spiritual. They're not natural. And that's where God comes in. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, he helps us in our spirit. And I'm sure when you're upset, when someone said something to you, you feel it in here. You haven't felt the person's fist in your face. Well, sometimes you do. People do. But um, sometimes we feel the full force of a spiritual fist. Now, who can do anything about that? It's only God through his Holy Spirit. When I'm sad, that's a spiritual issue. Now, we can receive comfort from other people, and we feel and we appreciate friendship like that, but in here, who makes the difference? Jesus. Because it's a spiritual thing. And so we're not only looking for someone who's dealt with our horribleness and our sin, but someone who's dealt to actually bring us the full impact of God's Holy Spirit to help us day by day. And this is really just a little prologue to what we read in Peter, because Peter's talking and he starts off by living in harmony. Living in harmony. If you just let children grow up and there's no authority over them, it would be total anarchy. Because that's the natural developed. But the influence of the spiritual and the power of the spiritual to make a change in my behaviour essentially comes through Jesus and the work of God's Holy Spirit in my life. I go in some people's houses and in some families and it's total disharmony. There's no relationship, no recognition, no respect for each of the other person, whether it's child or parent or whoever it is. And sometimes I find the biggest problems 
are when the parents do not respect the children. Sometimes I see more respect of children for the parents, but no respect from the parents to the children. Shut up. I think that's a bad way to move. It's a disharmony. And as Peter's talking about later on, that's not courteous. Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are called to make a change on how we respect each other. It's a behavioural thing. It's something that's within us, and it's only God through his spirit can change that. In my life, I've had lots of situations just like that. When Beacon first started here, and so Fred was leading and the others came along, I personally went through a very difficult time, the changes they were making. Gerald's here this morning, so he comes in to blame now as well. So, But, you know, I was, I was sitting just there in a prayer meeting, and I was sort of half-seething inside, you know, about the telephone going in the office, and in, in this room just here, and things and around. And I, had to, and, and I came to the point, and I, it was a spiritual thing, you know? It was something that I had to sort of say, God... Renew a right spirit in me. There are other things. I know Margaret had a problem with the coffee and the cakes and the cupboards out in the kitchen. Differences, changing. But we knew that God was on the move. We knew that it was what God wanted. And yet, you see, it's those challenges that come to us. You know, and it's not in my arms, in my feet and that, although people vote with their feet. But it was in here. It was a spiritual thing. And there's only one person that can deal with the spiritual things. And that's Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. He's the only one to knock it on the head. You see, if I'd had rested on that, and if I'd had dwelt on it, eventually I would have voted with my feet and stayed away. That's a spiritual thing. In a sense, when other people look into the church and they, and they say, oh, they're just, I can't go there, they're just a load of hypocrites. Whether in some senses, that is right sometimes. I'm not saying it isn't. And we can become hypocritical. But you see, it's the battle against spiritual things. And there's only one person that can deal with that. Jesus has dealt with it. Jesus influenced Peter's life. And now Peter was challenging them. These are things. This is God's kingdom breaking in. Becoming a Christian and following him is not a five-minute wonder. We're in it. In it. And so making a definitive choice about Jesus as our saviour is based on the first choice we made to receive him as saviour. And so we have to do that. All the way to. So we're actually going back to our, our min mission statement. Sorry, I can get that bit out for a minute. We're going back to our mission statement. Living life Jesus' way. That's what Peter's making it all about. You know? Let's, let's just read this, these words together, shall we? One Peter three. 
1 Peter 3, verse 8. The Peter, this is just a summing up, almost, but it's, it's half the book, really. <laughs> Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. But to do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Definitive choice in Jesus calls for definitive action in baptism. Now we're just going to the end of the passage just for a moment. When we ask Jesus to be our saviour, we're called to demonstrate out of a good conscience and a pledge to God of what we've done to be baptised. We have the water here sometimes, occasionally. People go down into here and they demonstrate their faith. They demonstrate their definitive choice in Jesus Christ by being baptised. I've made the choice and now I'm going to declare it. And that declaration is actually a spiritual declaration because it's based on obedience. Because we can't normally obey. We can, but not when we haven't got the power to do so. 
So my definitive choice in Jesus Christ calls for a life of definitive choices. But those choices can only be made with the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Peter is addressing these people here. Like we read, and Peter was dicking, dipping into the Old Testament. He was dipping, actually, into someone who was, a sense, a role model in life. Someone who'd found the things that really mattered, who was a hero in their historical life, but because many of these people were Jews, and they had a hero, and his name was David. And David also prayed, Lord, renew within me a right spirit. It's that help from outside that we need through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Peter is talking here, you know, these definitive choices you've made in accepting Jesus and being baptised. He said it wasn't so for the people in Noah's day. They actually didn't make that definitive choice. Even although God, through the power and working of his Holy Spirit, gave them the opportunity to do so. God gave them the opportunity to go into the ark when the world would be flooded and they chose not to do it. That was a definitive choice. Even if it was ignoring what Noah was saying, it was their definitive choice. And that's why he refers going back to Noah's day. So how does Peter address this? We read When we read about the Old Testament there, where Peter had gone back, David wrote the psalm, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. We're, we're all in that place. We all do it. It's a spiritual issue, and it will be a constant battle. It'll be a constant battle. But it's something we need to address day by day through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Turn from evil, seek peace, and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Peter's saying this because he knows this is what God wants. Sometimes we don't fully appreciate uh, what God wants sometimes. And sometimes it's the little behavioural things that get pushed aside. And we say, well, I'm free now as a Christian. I, you know, There's no condemnation to me and uh, I can do what I like. But now God constantly wants us to address our behaviour, to consider how we speak to people how courteous we are. He wants us to actually now relate to people as Jesus related to people. The way Jesus spoke to people. Jesus was courteous. Paul was courteous. We read in Acts when Paul was before King Agrippa. When Jesus was sitting on the well with a woman who'd been had a messed up life, he was courteous to her as he spoke to her. He didn't sort of overpower her with who he was. He didn't overpower her with what he could actually do for her. He actually sat on the well and chatted with her and was courteous to her, introducing himself to her and offering her the best gift and offering her life in her situation. And so courtesy was important. And so as we look at these people and we read these things here, 
Peter wouldn't be talking about them if they weren't the things that the guys were really struggling with. That's why he wrote the letter. They were really struggling with actually being able to get on with one another. They were struggling with the fact, I react badly. And how can my reaction be different? How can my reaction be different? Well, first of all, Peter's reminding them and telling them that this is the kingdom of God at work. This is the kingdom of God at work, making a difference in life. Becoming the person I really want to be, but find it so difficult to be, but here's help. I love that verse about Jesus. When he was reviled, he reviled not again, but he committed it to him who judges righteously. And I think all of us in some way, some more than in others, have been reviled or been treated really badly. And sometimes this happens in families more often than not. We get treated badly. And it's Jesus' words. We've probably known it for years and years and years. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. It's having a counter-cultural reaction initiated by Jesus through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to make a change. It might not seem quite and a bit dull to us here because we have the privilege of living in a society which is reasonably ordered. That doesn't seem almost as relevant. But to these people that Peter was writing to, it was so relevant and so difficult. And so difficult. And he said, look, Jesus has been this way. Jesus has suffered the just for the unjust so that he might bring you to God, so that he might bring you to God. Living life Jesus' way, clearly about behaviour, character is so critical, the rights to be heard. When Margaret and I moved from the house we rented in Sturry to uh, a bungalow which we were buying off our parents, um, the day my mother drove off with the last few items in her car uh, to Herne Bay here, um, we had sort of several, about 13 concrete steps that went up to our bungalow. And then one of the neighbours was walking down the road and, um, and uh, they were in the conversation. Um, we was talking about them moving to Herne Bay. And I just said sort of casually, from the top of the steps, we're taking over where our parents left off. And she shouted back up to herself, you've got to prove yourself yet. And that cut me to the heart. But contemplating it, she's right. Contemplating it, she was right. Yeah, we did have to prove ourselves as Christians. They'd proved themselves. My parents had so, you know, proved themselves by living there several years and God's goodness. That when she said that, I thought, yeah, that's what's got to be addressed in my life because it will give me the right to be heard not saying it's right today, but it, the principle's there. What gives us the right to be heard? The fact that we're living Jesus' way. The fact that we're living Jesus' way for his glory. And like for us, like for them, it was so difficult. So I'm not going to minimise the difficulty of doing this. 
but the power to make the change comes through the Holy Spirit of God because essentially it's a spiritual issue. If a couple just get up and fight and they have it out and they end up hugging each other, that's physical. But there are issues which are deeper and they're spiritual and God deals with those spiritual issues. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And even if you should suffer what is right, you're blessed. That's not normal. That's countercultural, and it's also spiritual. It's spiritual because Jesus went that way, and it was the power that changed society. The power when we're eager to do good, even if we should suffer for doing it. The spiritual issues, the kingdom of God. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, if there's nothing to notice about me, is nothing to notice about me, no one will ask. No one will ask. But if someone notices I'm different, they will ask. We noticed last week what John dealt with in this sort of evangelical, this reaching out, this moving out that others might understand and know wasn't done through words. It's done through actions. It was done through behaviour for wives and husbands that the wife may, without a word, win her husband. That's quite... Quite a powerful passage, isn't it? You know, how we can change society. Living life, Jesus' way. Living life, Jesus' way. Do not be frightened. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. That's spiritual. Fear comes from our enemy. It comes from Satan. God never introduced fear into this world. God never gave us fear. It came as a result of disobedience to God. And Satan plays on that and he uses it. But it's spiritual. So in a sense, we gain courage. We gain courage through what Jesus went through. The example he left behind and the way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Very often, some things come miraculously and supernaturally to us, and other things, they're taught. So, like the guy who asked for patience in his work situation, gave him the most irritable and obnoxious colleague at work, so that he could learn how to develop his behaviour. And sometimes when we ask some things to God, he doesn't say, yeah, mate, you have that, get on with it. No, he will bring us into a situation where we can develop our relationship with Jesus and learn the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to move forward powerfully with God. If God gives us things sometimes, that's not a powerful move. That's a power of God to give and to bless us. But when God teaches us something, and we learn the way he teaches us, we learn. That was Peter, wasn't it? Peter learnt 
how to live powerfully through his experience of life. When Peter said, I will never leave you or forsake you, and yet he denied Jesus. And Jesus forgave him, and Jesus singled him out as the person to demonstrate and to show his love to, like God does with all of us. We've come to the end of our time, and I've got five pages today instead of one or two, so we're going to just pray and finish. And just, if you know, you just want to seek God for that help and that, that power, just to... You just want to change your behaviour. You want to be that different person. God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, is here this morning just to help us just powerfully to move on from where we are. Father, we just recognise all the help and the input you had into Peter's life and how that he became a changing and powerful force in the early church. Father, I thank you for that we have people like that in our, in our group, Lord, in our community here. People, Lord, who have gone through the process of learning and relationship with you, to learning how to change behaviour and how to deal with it. And Father, we just want to have uh, mouths and lips that are anointed by the Holy Spirit to bless and not to curse, to say things which are right to do things which we just want to get rid of in our lives. We don't want them anymore. But Lord, we, we just want that power to change and your Holy Spirit gives self-control. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Thank you for that power, Lord. Thank you you've given it to me so much in my life. Power to change. And we come to you. In Jesus' name, and thank you that it's all possible. All things are possible with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.